a few years ago, uh, Father uh, Chris and I had had a discussion about how we as a local church can get involved in the global Christian community. Uh, what can we do for our brothers and sisters overseas? And so um, I was tasked with finding, um, finding a, a missionary, with finding a program that we could really believe in, one that we could have a long-term partnership with that could become one of us, an extension of uh, Trinity's arm in the, in the wider world. And so uh, that's when I contacted uh, Matthew, who is uh, behind me and will be preaching this morning, and I uh, asked him if, we, if he would be willing to enter with us into a long-term partnership, and that was about three years ago. Uh, this, is, will be, this will be his third visit with us. Uh, he typically comes in the fall, but came a little early this year, which is uh, great and exciting for us. And so, um, with that, I'm going to head, go ahead and uh, turn the pulpit over to Matthew. Thank you, Father Josh, uh, and thank you, Trinity. It is really good to be here, um, this being my third third return visit, it is, uh, feels more and more like home, and I'm always grateful for the warm welcome that I receive uh, in, this, in this place. Um, so again, my name is Matthew Von Herbulis. I serve um, in Rwanda with my family as a missionary. We, we work with farmers and do agricultural ministry training there, which I would love to tell you more about after the service, but this morning there is uh, a text that I am eager to get into, so let me just um, close out my introduction by saying thank you, um, I am very grateful for the support that we have continued to receive from this church that allows our ministry to continue. Um, and there are lots of exciting stories and updates I would love to share with you after the service. But for now, let's dive into the passage. Um, the text that we are going to be looking at this morning is the, the reading from the book of Acts, chapter 16. So if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles or in your, uh, your service booklets, it is the, the Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16 passage we will be looking at, which is an exciting um, and really interesting passage. What we're going to do this morning is we are going to contrast two of the characters in this. We are going to contrast the, the slave owners um, with the jailer. And when we look at the story in this way, we look at the clear contrast between them. The message and the takeaway is so clear that this almost reads as a parable. Um, it was a... Yeah, it, this was an enjoyable sermon to, to put together. So let me start by recapping the story. If you are, are like me, it is hard to kind of pay attention in all of the readings and, and maybe tend to zone off a bit as I do. So let me, let me kind of retell the story a bit and we'll walk through this together. First, we are going to look at the, the slave owners. So Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They are traveling, sharing this good news of Jesus. It says that they are going uh, finding these, these places of prayer where people are meeting and they are sharing the gospel. They are sharing the good news. Um, and they've been in Philippi for several days. Now there is this girl who has been following them for several days. What we know about her is that she is a slave and that she is what our text calls a diviner. That she is a fortune teller who is earning, earning money for her, her masters, her owners, um, through her fortune telling. Now, this concept of a diviner, of a fortune teller, as I prepared this message, I thought this is so removed, so distant from our culture uh, to understand. Uh, and then on the drive-in last night, actually, I saw a, a psychic house not too far from here. So it's maybe not as distant uh, from our culture as I had thought that it was. But she is, she is fortune telling. She's apparently doing it quite profitably. And so I would assume she has some kind of reputation in the community for being somewhat accurate in her fortune telling. 
So you would think that her following along with these, the apostles, proclaiming to everybody, these men are sent by God and they're here to tell us how to be saved, uh, that this would actually be a huge asset to their ministry. Uh, and I would imagine that for the first day, uh, Paul was probably thankful to have her. Uh, and then for the second day, maybe he was okay with it. But what we get from the passage is that by the third or the fourth day, Paul is just annoyed. This is a strange detail in the story. I've, this is the third time I'm preaching on this. I've been reading the passage all week, and I still laugh out loud during the reading every time because I think it is so strange that the author includes this, that Paul did not free this girl of the Spirit out of compassion, out of a desire to display God's glory, the passage really bluntly says, like, Paul is just sick of this girl following them, chanting the same thing over and over again for several days. And so out of frustration, he casts out the Spirit. I just find that hilarious. And if I were the author of this story, Paul being kind of our hero here, I would have left that detail out. But this is one of the beautiful things about Scripture um, is that there is sometimes this bluntness and this frankness and this exposed sense to us that kind of assures us that these are, in fact, real people. So Paul casts out this spirit, and the owners of this girl get mad. So we can assume Paul's been there for several days. This girl's been following them for several days. I think we can safely assume that the slave owners have also been following Paul and Silas for several days, listening to and entertaining this message. They seem comfortable, uh, they seem content to, to entertain this idea, to discuss the merits of the gospel. Um, as long as it is just this idea. But this moment comes when Paul casts out the spirit that, uh, that it, be it costs them something. This message uh, becomes real and it, it requires sacrifice. This is, the text tells us that they've been earning a good income from this girl and her fortune telling. So now this message that they're proclaiming um, that interested them a moment before is quite offensive, is a problem. And so the slave owners, they, uh, these girls' owners, they, they stir up a riot telling people that, look, the message that they're preaching is unlawful for us as Romans to accept. Um, and so they have Paul and Silas end up getting beaten, and then they are thrown in prison. So I want to look at the slave owners' response to the gospel um, and, and what we can draw from that. As I said, they seem happy to entertain the ideas of the gospel up until this point that it costs something, up until the point that it requires a sacrifice. And I, I think that that is not unlike many Christians now, that, that we can say, you know, I am happy to play this game. Uh, I'm happy to come and sit in church on Sunday mornings. I'm happy to, to, to pay my tithe. That's not much of a cost for most of us. Um, I am happy to try to be a better person. And as long as this is what Jesus is asking of me, fine, we can entertain this, this idea. I'll play the game. Um, but we're following a Jesus who is comfortable, who hasn't really required or asked much of us, not that we've discerned or not that we have allowed. We haven't counted the cost As a missionary serving in Africa, there is this um, really unfortunate, strange kind of glory and honor attached to what I do. People assume that I'm a good Christian because I'm a missionary, I can assure you. Uh, that's not often the case. Um, and so I feel like myself personally, I am confronted with this 
like any Christian, this, this the reoccurring events where I have to ask myself, like, am I really all in um, now that I see this cost that maybe I, didn't, I wasn't aware was there when I signed up for this? Uh, am I, do I really want this Christian life? Um, am I really willing to follow Jesus there when it costs something? Moving to Africa with my family, like, there are costs, there are challenges there. But for me, I mean, I love my work. I love my job. I love what I'm doing um, it didn't take a whole lot of arm twisting for God to get me to do that. I've wanted to be a missionary in Africa since I was 11 years old. Uh, I'm confronted with this when I have situations that I am required or invited to enter into real personal relationship with suffering. The kind of vulnerability that comes with that. See, my job right now, my ministry is mostly entirely me sitting in front of a computer. I'm developing curriculums. I'm designing programs. I'm on spreadsheets. That's what the life of an agricultural missionary looks like. I have lost my calluses entirely in the last three years. You'd be surprised how little farming I get to do personally. Um, but I can say that's my ministry. I'm being a faithful, good Christian because of that. But it's then when I'm at the, when I'm walking into a restaurant in Rwanda, as is happens every, every day that I have, I have street children coming to me saying, Mr., we're hungry. Give us food. Give us money. It's as my staff encounter losses, encounter financial troubles, that I want to say, like, no, no, no. Like, I've checked off my ministry box my whole life. My work, that's my ministry. Like, I don't want to have to enter into this real relationship. I don't want to have to make myself vulnerable in this personal way with you. That's, those are the moments that I have to count the cost. Am I really willing to follow Jesus into that kind of vulnerability, that relational human vulnerability that gets messy. When you bind yourself with people who are suffering, then you have to carry that load with them. That's, of course, what we are called to in the church, but that's a high cost. And those are the moments that I have to ask myself, am I really willing to pay this? So we're going to contrast that with the jailer here. All right, so continuing with the story, Paul and Silas are beaten they are arrested and they are thrown in jail, and the jailer is given special instruction to make sure they stay detained, stay safe. It says he locates them in the center of the jail. So the story gets crazier here. We're in the middle of the night. It says Paul and Silas are singing hymns and praying. Why wouldn't they be? They've just been beaten and are now in prison. Why wouldn't they stay up till midnight to sing hymns together? Um, and this earthquake comes. This, this wild miracle earthquake comes and shakes the gates open. So the jailer runs out, seeing the gates open. He prepares to kill himself. It says he draws his, his sword and he is about to, to commit suicide. Paul and Silas have to stop him. They say, like, no, 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 wait, we're still here. We're still here. Calm down. Um, in this display of God's glory, he responds with, what must I do to be saved um, they share the good news with him. And this jailer, hear this, this jailer takes them home, dresses their wounds, feeds them. They share the message with his whole household and they are all baptized. They all receive this message. So let's think about this. He almost killed himself at the fear that they had escaped. Because had they escaped on his watch, we assume his, his honor would have been so damaged in the culture, his position would have been so challenged that it was better for him to kill himself. So one moment he's about to kill himself at fear that they have escaped. 
in the next moment after seeing God's glory and receiving this good news, he takes those prisoners home, dresses their wounds, feeds them, and then accepts the very message that they were in prison for. If he was worried about what the next day was going to be like them having escaped, imagine him going to work the next morning when they say, hey, where are the prisoners? And he says, no, 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 it's okay. I, I took them home. They're at my house. I, I cleaned their wounds. I fed them. And actually now I, am, I have accepted their message. I am, I am disciples of, of the gospel that they are sharing. If he was ready to kill himself over the fear that would have happened from them escaping, imagine what that next morning was like for him. We have to assume it cost him everything. This gospel cost him everything. His post, his career, his honor. But in a, in a moment, the way the story is told, he immediately lays that all down. He immediately sacrifices all of that for this gospel. And it says he and his family that night, instead of sitting down saying like, Oh no, what have we done? What's tomorrow going to be like? It says his family rejoices that they have received this word. It says that they are, they are celebrating that evening in joy, certainly knowing what the next morning would hold for them. For him, following Jesus is costly. And I believe that following Jesus is intended to be costly, that there is sacrifice required, that there's discomfort at least. So for those of you unfamiliar with my program, we've designed a program called Sowers of Hope, where we are, um, we are implanting, implementing these what we call agri-faith associations in rural churches. So it's not so much that I am doing agricultural ministry as I am going into rural communities with my, my staff, really. Um, and we are equipping these rural churches in which 80 plus percent of the, the, the members of these communities are farmers. We are coming in and we are uh, equipping these churches with their own agri-faith associations, with their own agricultural ministries, so that the Christian farmers in that community can be proclaiming the gospel in their daily lives. They can be doing the work of the church, the work of the gospel through their farming, through their local church. We um, are counteracting a shame that is associated with farming and, and rural physical labor um, by proclaiming agriculture as a ministry of the church, as being the front lines of the gospel. If God is working through Jesus to restore all of creation back to a right relationship with himself, then farmers, in fact, are on the front lines of ministry um, in at least equal capacity to the pastor in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. So by teaching it this way, we're restoring dignity, and farmers now take something that they took as shame um, and now see this as having cosmic implications as being an important part of their spiritual practice and faith, that this is, in fact, their act of worship, their ministry. So I remember just a few months into the program visiting one of our farmers, um, Jean-Baptiste, and um, our farmers have very small, very small land. Their homes and their families and their farms are all on uh, land that is usually less than a quarter of an acre. So they're trying to use all of the space uh, as, as well as possible which was, made it surprising that at Jean Baptiste's farm there was a corner of his land that had nothing growing on it. That's not common. Um, and so we said, Jean Baptiste, why aren't you growing anything over here? He said, this is, this is bad land. It's rocky soil. I can't grow anything. So my assistant director said, hey, we just learned raised bed kitchen gardens. Why don't you try putting some raised bed gardens there and you can try growing some vegetables. 
We came back between six, nine months later, um, and Jean Baptiste had seven raised bed vegetable gardens there, all like overflowing with great nutritious vegetables. Um, nutritious vegetables that are very valuable, that are a high commodity in, in village life. And I said, Jean Baptiste, this is great. Certainly, you and your family. Uh, cannot eat all of this. Are you earning a good profit at market for, for the extra vegetables? And he looked at me with this confused faith, face. He said, I'm a sower of hope. If I have extra nutritious food growing on my land, it's going to my neighbors. It's going to their children who are malnourished. I'm not going to accept extra profit on myself while there's still such great need next to me. This, is, this isn't just my business. This is my ministry. I was shocked. Of course, this is what we are teaching. Of course, this is what we are, are, are preaching to them. Um, but for, for our farmers, for guys like Jean-Baptiste, who has zero financial margin in his life, um, I think Jean-Baptiste lives on probably about $200 a year, and he's one of our better-off farmers. These vegetables would have been a substantial um, increase in profits had he taken them to market. For guys like Jean-Baptiste, I was shocked to see his willingness um, to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel, to sacrifice to carry out this ministry that he had been invited into. Um, Jean-Baptiste had counted the cost, and he regularly shows himself willing to pay it for the sake of the gospel. He does it with joy. I've heard people say that salvation is free. And there is a sense in which that is true. There is a sense in which we can say salvation is free, that the gift of God, or that the grace of God is a gift in the sense that we could never pay for it. We could never earn it. But to say that it's free also contradicts a lot of other scripture, right? Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field and he went and sold all that he had so that he could buy that field and attain that treasure. It costs him everything to receive something that he could have never earned, that he could have never paid for. When Jesus calls his followers, he says, take up your cross and follow me. We're receiving something we could ever earn, never earn, but it is not free. The gospel that we receive with joy is also a gospel that we are invited into with, for suffering. It is inherent to the gospel. So that is my challenge to you now. Is the gospel to you something that is comfortable? Is it something that's not requiring anything from you? Or have you counted the cost? Are you aware of what is being asked of you in response to this great news? I invite you uh, now, and perhaps you'll want to pick up this exercise again during the week, maybe sit down with a journal. Um, I invite you now to try for a moment to suspend all reservation. Don't ask yourself, is this possible? Is this responsible? What will this cost me? For a moment, suspend all reservation and reimagine your life in full response, in full abandonment to the gospel that we've been called into. We don't really have the time here maybe to, to spend reflecting again. Maybe you'll want to pick this exercise up again during the week. But imagine for a moment, what would your life look like in full, reckless abandonment if your one aim was to live out this gospel that you've been invited into? Because the gospel is not something that we are, are 
offered as something to passively receive. We're not passive recipients, but active participants. It's something we're invited into. It is a work. God is working to build the kingdom here. And the good news is that this kingdom is coming and you are invited in not just to be the citizens, but to be the builders of this kingdom. So imagine what a life fully fixed on that one end would look like for you. Then we're going to come down from that. Now I want you to look at that life and the life that you're living now, and I want you to count the cost. I want you to count the cost. What's the difference between that life and where you are now, and why? Look at your hands. Are they open? In what areas of your lives are you white-knuckling? Like, yes, God, I'll follow you here. Okay, like I said, I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll, I'll give my tithe. I'll give these things. Um, but what is that, that place in your life where you see yourself white-knuckling, saying, God, just don't ask, don't ask that of me? What is the thing asked of you that if you knew it was required, you might respond like these slave owners and turn on the gospel? For most of us, we don't need to turn on the gospel like uh, the slave owners did. What we do instead is we can just deny that gospel and say, I'm going to stick with my comfortable Jesus who doesn't ask anything of me. We can fabricate a gospel that, that requires nothing, but I assure you that the gospel is intended to cost you something. And if you find yourself with a Jesus who is not asking anything from you, is not requiring anything of you, um, then you may well come to realize that you are, like these slave owners, just following at a distance, considering an ideal that you have not... Um, counted the cost for that you have not been willing to enter into? Or will you, like the jailer, um, in reckless abandonment, run, run into the gospel and all that it requires of you like he did? Will you be willing to sacrifice whatever is asked? And maybe the sacrifice is not necessary, but open hands, that's what's, that's what's necessary. The willingness, the eagerness to go. So search your heart. What is the thing that if asked of you, you don't think you could say yes? And then let's Let's begin doing the work to pry our fingers off of those areas of our lives. For some of you now, um, maybe the Holy Spirit is asking some radical change of you. Maybe that life in reckless abandonment to the gospel looks completely different from your life now, and you are being asked to make a huge change. For others of you, Maybe what you see is just a need to stretch a little bit farther. Maybe you are just recognizing a bit too much comfort, and maybe you realize there are areas that you're giving what you can give easily now that maybe you should be giving in what would be a sacrifice. Maybe there are areas that you are serving in your extra time in, in, in ways that are not costing that you are able to give a bit more, and that is your challenge now. Maybe it is to enter vulnerably into relationships that you know will cost you, that are exhausting, maybe with people who you like to keep at an arm's length, and you're being challenged, invited now, to enter into real suffering, into real grief, um, and do that, that hard work of ministry that, that is so challenging to me. Uh, whatever it is, I pray that, that you, that we, uh, will be willing, like, like the jailer, to to throw everything aside and with joy receive this gospel as it comes with costs, as it comes with suffering, that we will see the joy and that will motivate us to take that step. I'd like to pray for us to close our, my time with you. God, we thank you for this gospel, this great news that we hear and that we receive, God, 
for the joy that comes with it, God, that you are coming, that you are building your kingdom here, that there is hope, that there is salvation. I pray now that, that by your Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength, that you would give us the boldness to accept that gospel with its costs, that we would enter joyously into the suffering, into the sacrifices that are a part of this faith, God, um, for the joy set before us, that we would endure that suffering, that we would give, that we would serve sacrificially in the hope of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you for this gospel. We thank you for this joy, and we thank you for the Holy Spirit that you give us that gives us the strength to make these steps that we could not make on our own. And it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.